Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back, everybody, to this Friday edition of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today on the show, we got a special treat for you. We're going to be talking all things uh, land and buying your own little slice of paradise with uh, the Southern Outdoorsman land agent, Josh Holly. Josh, how are you doing? Doing good, guys. How are y'all? 
Doing pretty well. Good, doing pretty good. Well. Jacob, how are you doing over there? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah, we got uh, Josh Holly of Alabama Land Crafters and Moss Hook Properties on the property. Or on, on the, the property, on, on the, the podcast, property. on yeah. the pro- on the property. No, I'm inside. I'm I'm kind of glad I'm not on the property right now. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. That's very true. But uh, son. got you on the podcast, uh, and th- there's so much to it. I'm trying to figure out if we should talk about Jacob Walker right now, <laughs> early in the podcast. Uh, uh, the 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 the. Uh, the land specialist of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast, who is evidently better than Jacob Walker. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank y'all. I'll, hey, I'll send you that hundred dollars here shortly, Andrew. <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, Jacob is uh, my best friend slash rival slash the. Uh, I'm never going to give him a compliment ever. Um, the uh, but he is my partner in crime. Absolutely. So you guys down there at the uh, Montgomery office uh, for Mossy Properties, Alabama Land Crafters. Uh, excited to have you on, Josh. Going to talk some details here on especially intro into buying property. Uh, this is something that I've kind of dabbled in a little bit in the past. Andrew kind of dabbled in it a little bit recently as well. Uh, but we never executed anything. Again, it was all dabbling and never executing. And you and me had a conversation beforehand how I screwed up an opportunity that actually a listener of the podcast jumped on after I backed out, and he got a, a hell of a property for a really, really good price. Uh, but we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But Josh, early on in this podcast. No, so a guy that listened to your podcast heard about the property that you were talking about that you wanted, and he went and he bought it? No, no it wasn't like that. He's a listener to the podcast. He found the property as I found the property. And I was talking to the guy, and I was, oh. I was the first one with opportunity to put offer in. And decided to back out because of some things we're going to talk about today when it comes to easements. And he just jumped on it and got it for, I mean, a really, really And good he's already price. killed a buck off of it, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. So, Living yeah. the dream. It, but anyways, but yeah, he is a listener of the podcast. But no, he didn't hear about it on the show, though. Um, now... Oh, uh, I was about to say, man, that's, that's, uh, I might have to be real careful about things I say on here today. <laughs> well, it's not a problem as long as you're listing properties. It's, it's another thing if you get a buyer <laughs> yeah. and you're trying to talk, talk about a specific <laughs> property for a buyer. But... Josh, on this episode, again, this is going to be an episode for people that are curious uh, whether they own property or not. Um, if they don't own property, this is definitely going to be an episode. If you have ever had the interest of owning property, this is definitely going to be the episode for you to be able to listen to and kind of have a better understanding of advantages of especially using a land agent and, and different aspects of that and what to be looking for when it comes to good opportunities, especially as a first-time landowner. But Josh, to kind of do a little intro for you on the podcast, of course, people probably have been hearing or heard your ads on the podcast as well with your partnership with us. But can you talk a little bit about what is your background when it comes to land sales and also you know, your relationship with Mossy Oak Properties and kind of how you got into this business? Um, so, um, I've been doing land sales for about, I'm finishing up my fourth year, um, right now. Um, and, uh, so kind of the way I started, you know, I didn't really set out to be a land agent. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was kind of always more of an entrepreneurial type person wanting to work for myself, you know, uh, sales, you know, commission type uh, stuff. And I was selling insurance in college, um, to, uh, that was how I paid for my last two years of college. And, um, I met Dale Walker, um, who's my broker from church. And, you know, he was a very successful businessman who had a, a really good reputation and, um, you know, a, a reputation of just absolute 
high integrity. And you, those guys are kind of rare. And I wanted to, I wanted to learn from him and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I went and I talked to him and, um, kind of approached him about working, um, for him. Cause I wanted to learn from him. Um, he told me no. Uh, and, uh, then I came back and asked him two more times until he said yes on the third time. <laughs> I swear. And, uh, the, um, but it, it was kind of cool. You know, I, I always think it, the if I could see the you know if I could see my dad when he realized that I worked from Osseo Properties and get to you know I've met Toxie and Cuz and all of them we were my dad was just a diehard Mossy Oak person my whole life there were like nothing but Mossy Oak was allowed in the house and started here and hit the ground running and didn't didn't have a background in forestry or farming or anything like that like a lot of the guys who are younger get into it started completely from scratch um knew nothing knew nobody and so it was really tough getting started i had to beat my head against the wall until i broke it down basically you know the knowledge that i got from the whole mossy oak team and from Mr. Dale and Jacob and all of them, they fast tracked me um, to all to all that stuff. And now I own my first piece of property. I'm the first person in my family to own a separate hunting property. I felt that I lived that life kind of on 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 all sides. If you'd asked me five years ago if I was going to be a land agent, I would have said you're crazy. Like there's no way. Now I couldn't see myself doing anything else. So I want to bring this up real quick. It's the aspect of, like you just mentioned, you're the first person in your family to actually own property. Uh, mm-hmm. That's uh, Some people, I think, take that for granted, as in if you grow up with a family that has always owned property, uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of like been me. Like I've always had private land that my uncles you know, have owned uh, growing up that I had opportunities. It wasn't my parents owned it, but still had opportunity to be able to go out there. And some people aren't gifted that or blessed that. Andrew, you're kind of one yeah. of those. Yeah. I mean, you don't. I mean, do do you have anybody in your family? No, 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 nobody at all. Nobody directly related. I have some distant relatives that own land, but nobody in my immediate family. My my grandfather's none of that. We've never owned land before. Yeah, my brother. My brother lives on his forty acres, but as far as like owning a separate piece that's just for hunting, didn't nobody did that and but i always wanted to have that it is a thing that uh, i see a lot of people you know i help a lot of people who have never owned land that are first-time land buyers it it is it's it's amazing the misconceptions with it you know thinking either one you have to be super wealthy or there's just not an option to own a small piece of land or you know i gotta own 500 acres or i gotta own 600 acres and stuff and there's ways to you know start with what you can with what you can 40 acres and then sell it and sell it for a bigger price for a better price and buy another place you know it's a um it's a really cool thing and i it's kind of been one of my niches is helping a lot of first-time land buyers and that's the reason why we're having this podcast and this or having this episode is because I want to kind of help educate people of what opportunities are out there. And again, like you said, you don't have to be necessarily a, a millionaire to own property. You have a bunch of different options when it comes to, you know, what's available in the market, but also like what fits your budget, fits your needs for right now and how to be able to potentially upsize that later on or be able to use it as an investment property to be able to kind of, again, off sale and then move up. And I know you and me have had conversations off air about that specifically, which is something super interesting. We'll get into the details on that. But when we're talking about buying property for the first time, what are what are you 
when you're talking to a first-time buyers, what are some of the biggest questions that normally come up, or most common questions that come up for first-time buyers that maybe they either overblow or it's something that's maybe not as complicated as they think it is? The first thing that a lot of people are not prepared for is the financing. The financing is a different process than in residential. Um, that's the biggest thing because a your regular mortgage company or bank, traditional mortgage company, they won't do like over 10 acres. And so you got to go through a land bank. And that'll be a company like First South Farm Credit or Ag Credit, something like that. And now some some local banks will do some stuff where they can get better, they can get some better rates, but not all the time. They're kind of in and out of it. But they go off of a different um, bond yield. And so they're going to be a little bit higher generally on your land loan. And they're going to, they're not going to have options for 3% down, 5% down, stuff like that. It's going to be normally 15 to 20% down. And then their, their rates are going to be a couple points higher than your traditional mortgage company. Like uh, I think traditional mortgages are around four or five, five or 6% right now. And land is about at 7%, which is where it was about four years ago before the market got crazy and it really dropped down. But most of those, when you join First South or Ad Credit, you're joining a co-op. And so you're buying stock in the company. So you get a dividend payment at the end of each year that can sometimes equal almost a point. So it almost can kind of equal out, but also they know how to do land. Like if you can somehow get Wells Fargo or regions or something to do it, which is very rare, it's almost not worth it because they don't know how to appraise it. They don't know how to do anything. They send somebody out there who has no idea about land, you know, timber value, all any of that stuff. And so that's the number one thing that I go over with completely new people to it is, have you talked to anybody about financing? Just because if you don't have that down payment, then you need to save up until we get to that down payment phase, you know, where we get that saved up and, you know, just have have discussions because that changes things. Your interest, higher interest rate, that, that changes the whole aspect. And so that's the very first thing that somebody needs to educate themselves on. Now, before we go in more detail, because I've got a lot more questions on that specifically, but what is your, if you're going to explain to somebody, somebody that's maybe on the fence of like whether they want to own property, or if they're just going to keep leasing property, like a lot of people I know that still do uh, when it comes to hunting rights. When you're talking to somebody that's kind of on the fence, how do you explain, especially as a first time land owner, and especially the first time in your family as well, how do you explain like the, like, what do you like about being a land owner versus if you were just leasing property or hunting public land or whatever? Like, how would you explain that to everybody? You know, I, I can put you through my thought process on buying that place. Um, last, I've owned it about a year now. So I've been I've been in hunting clubs and hunting. Uh, we had like a family hunting club most of my life growing up. And then recent years, I've just been in a hunting club um, around here. You know, there's 15, 20 members and there's 2,500 acres. And, you know, uh, I'm not a huge deer hunter. Y'all know that. I'm a turkey hunter, uh, you know, bird hunter. But I, I do like to deer hunt a little bit. The most frustrating thing to me, just like in fishing, the, the most frustrating thing to me would be like, I'd find a spot and find a wind direction and find all that. It needs to be hunted on this wind. You know, uh, if you don't have this wind, leave it alone, all that. Then you have somebody come and climb around, uh, come and exactly in the spot that you were in on the wrong wind and not even ask you. And, you know, you can't say anything because they have all rights to the club as you do. 
Um, and that would get, but that would get frustrating because it'd be like, man, I don't care about you hunting it, but you just completely made that deer unkillable and he has disappeared. And so I was going to do at least that's what I wanted because my wife loves to deer hunt and the biggest thing is pressure. And so I was going to get my own lease and I was looking at it and, you know, you're going to spend 10 to 12 bucks an acre. And I wanted to get something that was a couple hundred acres, 10 to 15 bucks an acre, depending on where it is in, in this area. Then you got all the planning, you got stands, you know, if there's not stands on it, if the last guy that leased it took it off, all that. And I was looking at it and I didn't want to get a club, um, you know, get a whole bunch of people in it. You know, it was going to cost me $5,000 a year um, just on the lease. Um, and then if I added in, um, you know, all the stands, all that money, I, I looked into it and I was like, I mean, five years from now, I literally have $25,000 that I can never get a return on. Now that's okay. I mean, if that's what you want to do leasing, I lease turkey rights, um, for a lot of, to have a lot of places to hunt. But then I found this place that I could buy at a good price. It was listed on the market and it'd been on sitting on the market for a little bit and we were in a hot market. It just, it didn't have a whole lot of good pictures, good maps or anything. And so I went and negotiated a good deal and I can hold this for two or three years and I can probably make $35,000 on it. So I've got my own place that I can learn about land management, you know, that I can put things into practice, you know, more that I've learned, you know, and it's just something about just having something that's yours. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's yours. You know, I watched the first ever turkey die on that place this year and I didn't kill one off of it, but I watched a kid kill his first turkey ever. It was in the bottom. That bottom suckered me into buying that place because when we drove by it, the sun was hitting his big, huge, open hardwood bottom. I could just imagine a turkey strutting in it. And the first time I saw a turkey on that place, he was sitting in, in that hardwood bottom and sun's hitting him perfectly going through his fan and the kid uh sitting next to me he goes why is this fan golden and like you know i mean just the, the being able to say that there's just there's just something about it and so but at the end of the day it was the money to me i'm, I'm a, i was a finance major in in college and so i'm an investment risk reward guy for this, you know, I can do what I can do whatever I want to to this place, hunt it however I want to. I can keep it as long as I want to, but more than likely, I'm gonna sell it and I'm gonna, you know, make a little bit of money off of it and use it to buy another place. Uh, that, that's the. It, it just depends on where you are. What's more? What's more? You know, Im, important to you? Now you can le lease. I could have leased 500 acres. I'd still. I'd never see that money ever again. When you're looking at buying a property, like me and my wife were looking at buying some property like last year before we ended up moving, and uh, we were just kind of we had. Uh, we were comfortable in our house and we're like, well, you know, what can we do with the money that we're saving? Can we go put it towards something? And it's very much like, kind of like what you're talking about there, the financial thing. I'm like, well, I'd like to invest it in something I could go hunt. That'd be fun, <laughs> you know, and get a return yeah. on it potentially. Yeah. And plus I've just always wanted to own my own land. And so we kind of looked at it and then, you know, one thing led to another, we ended up buying a house instead, but it's still a goal of mine to buy property one day in the hopefully not so distant future. Um, but even for somebody like me, you know, I'm a younger guy and I don't necessarily make a ton of money. It's still very approachable for me, especially if you're looking at buying, 
you know, a smaller parcel or depending on the location that you're buying. So can you talk about that a little bit about how uh, you can look in certain areas where you're going to be able to find a better deal on land? Yeah, there's so there's I mean, there's certain counties where, you know, dirt prices are higher than others. Um, you know, like, for example, Lee County, Russell County, a property we're working on right now. It's got completely it's completely cut over and it's got some SMZ on it. Dirt value in there is between 2000 and 2500 an acre because in that area, it's 30 minutes from Auburn. But you go to Macon County and your dirt value is like twelve hundred dollars an acre. So, you know, you can get, you know, if you're buying something for a hunting, a strictly hunting property, you know, people go to more rural counties, you know, farther out, the farther out you get, you know, generally, the more it's going to go down. A lot of people, they think, you know, who's going to want to hunt 30 acres? You know, a lot of public land guys like you, you know, y'all go out and y'all have Y'all are so used to hunting public land. The way y'all look at it is, you know, I've got all these thousands and thousands of acres to hunt. I've listened to y'all's podcast. Y'all are running gun. Y'all, y'all spook, y'all spook a deer. <laughs> I'll go find another one. Uh, you know, and with with land with twenty to thirty acres, yes, that deer is going to be going on other people's property. Go ahead and accept that. But man, that's our bread and butter or places that size. I mean, those places go like that. Because there are so many people that can buy it, you know, can have their piece, either put a put a house out there um, eventually, you know, there's whether it's buying a problem property, you know, a property that's not fixed up, uh, it doesn't have roads or the roads look uh, crappy. There's so many different things that you can do to capitalize on, you know, all right, this is my budget. What can I do? Dale Walker downstairs he uh, you know what he does they own some pretty large tracts of land he started with 40 acres and worked his way up so i mean i started with 76 you know and what i did i don't know if y'all want me to go more into on that one did i answer that question yeah yeah so it, it mainly it mainly just has to do with kind of getting away from population centers you know get away from like the big towns where a lot of jobs are yeah, you know, there's it's kind of it's kind of a, a loaded question, and this sounds like a selfish, but like if you got a good land guy, experienced land guy, he'll be able to tell you. Well, where can I get? Where can I get the? I want the most if you tell him I want the most acreage for that I can get for this amount of money, or. I want, you know, I want it to be close to here because your natural appreciation of that property is probably going to go up quicker than a property that's in the absolute boondocks of Dallas County or Wilcox County. You're probably going to have a natural just appreciation quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want I want to bring up something here uh, when it comes to like what can cause uh, what could cause pricing changes on properties and like why one property might be priced at 2,500 acres and the next property might be priced at 1,100 acres or whatever based off timber values mm-hmm. and everything else. And I want to give an example of a property I was looking at, which was like <clears throat> 78 acres. It was in Walker County. If uh, we had been in person, you probably would have fought me. Yeah, oh, yeah, for, 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 yeah, 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 for sure. He was well, like, "Why are you telling me this?" Well, we get a, we get a listener now that now he owns the property. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we go out there and do a video with him or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. J- Jeremy knows who he is. Uh, but anyways, so 
this property I found, and the funniest thing is like, I was just curious. I'm like, let's see if I can find some property, okay? Wasn't super serious, but I hadn't talked to you or any of my other buddies. They were kind of like, you know, the <laughs> land. I don't think we were really friends then at that time. I, I, I don't think we were. I, 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 I knew you, but I hadn't, yeah, like we weren't like close, like nothing like today, okay? Yeah. But like, anyways, I didn't reach out to anybody, and I was just on Facebook Marketplace, and I saw this property, and it was 78 acres, and the guy wanted. I think it was like seventy two thousand or something for it. It was like eight, it was eight or nine hundred dollars an acre. Okay, and I was looking. I'm like, there's no way. And he had like you said, terrible photos, but he had an address for it. And I messaged the guy, and I'm like, can you show me, like, send me a pin on like Google Maps, showing like where this property is located. And he's like, yeah, he sent it to me. I pulled up on Onyx, and it was like, dude, it was oh man, it was like this huge rectangle property, rough, just adjacent to off a of main road. But the easement, and the reason why he had priced it this way was because the easement was through a mining property, okay? So it was an active mine, uh, not necessarily there, but the, the mine had owned this property, and you had to use one of their roads and two of their gates to get back there into this property. There was a couple other landowners back there, and he was pricing it pretty much to offsell. Like, I think he had just got a divorce, and he was like, he had, you know, the guy had, he had some stuff. So he's like, I'm, I just need to sell it. And I'm like, this is like, this price is like too good to be true. Okay. And this is, I, I was kind of mm -hmm. started dabbling and like looking at financing and stuff. And long story short, after looking at a ton of the maps and actually scheduling a day to go out there and look at the property in person, I just kind of backed out because he's like, you have first dibs because I was the first one to message the guy about the property. And I just backed out because I was like, the biggest issue I had, and I was talking to one of my uncles as well about this because of how good of a deal it was was the easement issues okay and that's what scared me away from the property specifically was the easement and also you know the issue of like you never like looking as a as a hunting property not necessarily as a home site but if you ever were going to build on property you, you didn't have any kind of uh you know uh power or you know water easements or anything like that any kind of um you know surface easements and then also it, like, it didn't have a dated easement did it you said it was just access it, like they yeah, just let them use it yeah it was a an agreement and this is another thing kind of threw me off that guy's like yeah he's like it's not hard he's like all you gotta do is just fill out this paperwork sent to the mining company and they pretty much just like cut you a key and everything and just so they have you on record uh and i was like well, yeah. what happens if like they sell the company the mining company sells which happens, you know, quite often. Like a lot of these companies go out, they go bankrupt, and another company buys them. And he's like, "Well, I don't know," but he's like, "You know, this company's been there for you know twelve years or whatever." And I'm like, "I didn't like that idea because if they sold that property, and then I just had this little written agreement like I can access my property, the next company could be like, no, oh, no, no, no more." So that's what scared me away from this property. Okay, Josh. Now, after yeah. talking to you about it, you're like pissed at me. You're like, dude, he's like, he's like, you know, we had, we had a detailed conversation about it. But again, one of our, one of our listeners actually bought the property. Funny enough, um, but yeah. in a situation like that, because the easement, can we talk about maybe not necessarily about this example? I just want to kind of put this out there. Can you talk about like easements and like why some of these properties maybe I've seen properties that didn't have like uh, well that 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 is actually that example is actually a really good way to go through it. Uh, I guess, kind of on this specific property because it changes with each one. But so easements are, they're, they're definitely negative. Um, you know, I've got people that call me and they're like, hey, I'm looking for a property. If it's got an easement, don't send it to me. I don't want it. Um, so th there is a negative side to an easement. But, you know, that was the property had timber on it and stuff, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like, 
big hardwood timber. Uh, it had some hardwood timber, then it had replanted. The guy had cut it probably 12 years ago, so it had like 10, 12-year-old pines on the property. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that that's a that was a heck of a price, and so you know now definitely every time we, when we get on valuations uh, of a property, which we'll get into more later, you know an easement that that is it a little bit negative on the value, um, and because so you know you don't own that access. However, you know you were worried about the issue of you know what if somebody else comes and buys it in the state of Alabama. You cannot landlock somebody. They have to give you access. You have to get it. Uh, they have to give it to you. So on this situation, you would have you could have gone and asked for one. And a lot of times people like buy it and you get a surveyor and it comes out and it goes on the deed and it stays with that property for life. As long as, you know, it doesn't it unless a public road is built that changes um, that. But so, but you still, you don't own the road and there's agreements in that. And usually you get a power easement, utility easement, something like that. Now with the mining company, I didn't know that at the time. Uh, the, so with these corporate companies, they may say, okay, you're going to have to take us to court, but you're going to win. But it might've, it might've cost you $15,000 to do it, but you're going to win. And so, but a lot of people, they just, they're scared and they don't know how it works. And now I've never had an, uh, never had a situation where I've had to, where clients had to sue somebody or anything like that. Generally, I tell people the best thing you can do, corporate clients are different, but the best thing, you know, I'm always about just trying to be a nice guy and be understanding of how the other side feels. It's like, I don't want to de, you know, what if you sell this property? Um, and then I got to deal with that guy, you know, so be it. So I've seen people, they walk up with $5,000 and say, Hey man, look forward to being neighbors. I need to get this thing legal so that I can get the financing. Cause you can't get financing without legal access. And, um, so going offering five grand, there you go. And you got, uh, and he'll let you do that. I've seen that happen so many times. And then if I've seen one time where somebody was like, absolutely not, I refuse we're not doing it. It was just because he was mad and ornery and in a bad mood all the time. And he just didn't like to get, he didn't want to get along with anybody. But as soon as the guy got a lawyer involved and it was, he was served paperwork saying, you have to go to court at this day about this easement, the white flag came up, you know, but I, I don't suggest that route for, for anybody, but you know, I always suggest getting the access. I mean, you have to get the access and it's really not that complicated to get. Yeah, and all states are different. So we're talking specifically with Alabama here, but you know we have a lot of listeners in Alabama, so it's applicable for a lot of listeners. But uh, that was the again that was the biggest thing I was worried about was just the easement aspect. And one of my uncles I was talking to about it, he specifically said he's like I wouldn't touch a property that didn't have good easement, like didn't have like good access. So he's like if you had to go through easements, he's like yeah, I'm not I wouldn't personally touch it, even though the price is really good. Uh, so again, kind of scared me out of it, which you know it is what it is. But now looking back at but it, there's. There's a lot of properties that have been bought that, that and then somebody was what they budgeted was uh, you know just like in flipping a house they budget for fixing it up they budgeted fifteen grand for the legal battle to get the access figured out and then they get the access may not even cost them the fifteen grand bam there you go they got a deal we sell them all the time that was something that kind of got me out of like this opportunity, which now looking back at it, you know, for the money, for the amount of acreage and everything. Cause my thing was like, what could I get 
like I, I'm, I was this mindset, like, okay, for like X amount of dollars, what is the most amount of acreage I get? And that's when I started, like, I mean, really looking at a bunch of different places. And it kind of, after that opportunity kind of fell through, then I was looking, I'm like, okay, well, what about if you're looking at properties that have been clear cut and they haven't been planted yet and they're just a bunch of trash on uh-huh. there? I mean, it's a bunch of uh, uh, slash piles over the property. Like, really, they, like, pretty much owner cut it and sold it or wanted to sell it and that was it. And I started finding some other properties that were not nearly at that price, but were in that, you know, on the lower end, maybe $1,100 an acre uh, to about $1,500 an acre, but they were like in the black belt. Uh, And that was like something that was kind of catching my attention too. And I was like, you know, that's anyone that knows Alabama knows like the fertileness of that black belt area of the state, uh, you know, produces some really good deer, you know, really fairly good bird numbers, uh, you know, great freaking just migratory pattern right there. I mean, it's just really, really, snipe hunting. Yeah, really, really cool area to go and, and be hunting. Yep. Which Josh missed out on. Oh, yeah, Josh did miss. Oh, man. Wow, we should have got Kyle on this podcast, too. That would have been great. We should have, like, all, yeah. all Kyle's sides, just, like, phone drop in here. Talk about that snipe hunt. Sorry, I was too I was too busy catching those uh, spotted ditch pandas. Yeah. <laughs> but... You can you can use that you can use that phrase. That's I might what have I call to steal them. that one too, Josh. Ditch pandas. <laughs> Ditch pandas. So, but kind of getting back at this, the easements is something that I think scares a lot of people off when they're looking at this, and I think it's that nomenclature, mm-hmm. that nomenclature of what people have talked about, like you know, don't touch a property if it has easement issues. Can, so, can you talk about some of the different easement things that you've ran across, you know, in your time, kind of you know, being a land agent? What are some of the more common ones? And again, what is one of those things that if you're working with a land agent, of course, a land agent is going to know how to handle these situations. But, you know, what should people be like aware of, at least in the state of Alabama, when it comes to easements? I wouldn't I wouldn't buy it unless it's deeded, unless you're getting enough of a discount where if you have to go the expensive route that you're covered, if you understand what I'm saying. And easements, I mean, they can change so much. You know, there there is, you know, I, I easements don't scare me, but I mean, it's definitely not on preference, uh, you know, and some easements, you know, it'll be there'll be three or four land owners that use it and it's just like a road um you know they keep it like a dirt road but then you know you may have one easement if it goes if it crosses 10 yards of somebody's corner you have to have an easement on it um legally uh and but then you'll see some that are two miles long um that's going through four property owners um because back in the day you get in some of these really rural counties where there's a lot of timber um, and, uh, like it would, it was all owned by one company and they just sold 40 acre track here, 40 acre track here. And it was just all these roads have just become logging roads and access, you know, like the dirt road was just a logging road that was put there 60 years ago and been improved a little bit more and more over time. And, but nobody officially made it a public road so it's just like you know those are those are ones that can get a little bit more complicated um but you know and then there's also you may not get a utilities easement um there's an access easement and a utilities easement both of those are under the same law in alabama of you know hey if you're gonna get it but you just might have to fight for it but it it, it changes with each one i mean it, it it's really just you know just get it deeded uh, in today's world back in the day people didn't care people did you didn't hear about it near as much um you know 
But nowadays, banks, they won't do it without it. They will not do it without it. Um, and, you know, it's really not that complicated. It's, you know, you, there there is nightmares. I've heard of nightmares. I've seen nightmares. You know, I, I dealt with one that that deal liked to kill me um, on that easement. I mean, it was the most stressful deal I'd ever done um, with that easement. Um, and so there can be ones that just ain't worth it. Um, but generally, it's easy to handle, um, you know, and if your land agent, you know, with me, I've discovered I don't have to know any, know anything. So I know everything. I have to know the people that do. And so, you know, this issue comes up. All I do is just give it to the attorney. I've got an attorney who specializes in those and a surveyor. Bam, get it done. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call about field and stream outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. Again, just looking as a new buyer, uh, a new property buyer, uh, and first time landowner, I just see that as being like one of those things that kind of comes up like, oh, great, like this fits, like I found this property, fits my budget, but it's got all these things that like I'm kind of worried about, not unsure of. And that's like the advantage of working specifically with a land agent. Because, you know, guys mm-hmm. stuff, you're going to have that kind of knowledge, be able to kind of work them in the resources to work them through those situations and also give a, you know, professional opinion. You know, is it worth your time? You know, is it worth your time to yeah. go through with everything based off the price point, especially if they're not going to negotiate and, and, and lower that price point in order for you to be able to kind of get that easement at a decent cost? Uh, but I just wanted mm-hmm. to bring that up because that was something I personally ran into. Now, on the flip side, when you're looking at properties, you know, we've talked about the easements and talked about you kind of breached briefly mentioned earlier like the financing like financing is completely different with with land uh compared to what you're going to be doing with your you know, your traditional mortgage on a, on a house um is there is there an in-between when you're working let me ask this if you're if someone was buying a property like say andrew that's 40 50 60 acres with a house on it that's not what he did but i'm just giving an example here that's what we tried if, to if do. If the house is on the property, <laughs> would a traditional mortgage work with that, or would you still potentially have to go through a land, uh, like credit union, or, or not credit union, a, a co-op or something like that, in order to get that deal? If it has a house on the property you're going to be living in, it depends on the mortgage company, and even with the credit unions, the credit unions, you know, they can be worried about doing land um, and just and not know how to do it and. There's a loophole. Uh, the uh, some bankers might call me and get mad. So, you know, if they don't want to do the whole land, uh, you know, you could either you could go to a land bank, and they'll do the house and everything. And but your mortgage company, they may they may be willing to do all of it, and that can be the best route to go. Um, if if they'll do all of it, that's going to be your best overall rate. But if they refuse to do it, 
what you do is you just get a surveyor and you parcel out the most amount of land that they'll do, which is usually 10 acres around the house, get a mortgage, get the traditional mortgage company to do that. And then just do a land, do the land bank on the rest of it. And there you go. Done deal. Um, I've done that several times. Okay, perfect. Because that's that was one of the questions I had. Also, I want to kind of get back to the aspect of with that first time land buyer, and they're looking at the, the financial or, or the on the finances and everything and, and financing. What traditionally, if you're going to be going through a land bank, what are like common, at least in the state of Alabama, common down payments that they're requiring in order to be able to you know move forward with something? You know, kind of talk a little bit about that from kind of behind the scenes of what people could be expecting when it comes to looking at property and, and financing. Uh, you know, it's the fifteen to twenty percent down um, is uh, that that's standard, um, and it's not really a negotiable term. Um, generally, um, that I've never I've never seen them do less than that um, than fifteen percent. And then you know your terms. There's so many different terms you can uh, you can do. You can do twenty year term, thirty year term. You can do fixed. You can do adjustable. Um, you know, there's so many, just like a mortgage, there's so many things you can play with to get your payment adjusted and, um, you know, and changed on it. Um, but like they take into account what's the timber value on the place, you know, part of one thing that people need to know is so they're banking on that timber on that place. If you're going to buy it and then cut every little thing off of it, you got to tell them that. Um, that's part of the agreement is, you know, they, they want to know what exactly is is going on because they're going to require you to pay a certain amount of that timber payment back towards the loan. Because the way the whole thing is, the risk is, you know, if you default, then they have the land that then they sell. Well, if you cut all $3,000 an acre worth of timber off of it and you paid 4000 for it, they've only got $1,000 an acre worth of land to uh, recover their losses. So there's some terms like that, but normally, I mean, they work with you on, they work with you on it and they don't take your money or not let you cut. They just want a certain percentage paid towards the loan. That was going to be one of my next questions was about timber values and stuff like that. Uh, Actually buying a property that already has timber on it versus buying a property that's totally clear cut um, and, and how that factors into price. So that's pretty common yeah. where if you're buying like a, like a 40 acre stand of pine trees, uh, and you plan to cut it as soon as you buy the property, you've got to tell the lender that, um, yeah, that situation you would want to tell them before, but really in anything, even if you, whatever you're going to cut, they just, they let them know it's in your agreement. It's in your terms and everything. Is that a pretty common thing where someone might buy a property with timber with the intent to cut that timber and then put that back towards the loan? Um, the, uh, like to completely cut it over timber companies do it or timber guys do it all the time. Um, you know, but yeah, it is, a, it's a common thing for just a recreational landowner as well. Cause you know, um, you, if you see on uh, my listings, you'll see me sometimes, but it's ready for thinning. And so that means, okay, he can get a little bit of income back, uh, right there and either use it towards a loan or use it towards fixing it up. There, there's a whole bunch of things like there's an option of, you know, you get a timber company out there and let's say you want to put in a dove field. And so they're paying you to cut 20 acres of that. Say, I'm going to get this property thinned and then I want this 20 acres clear cut completely. 
Well, they're paying you for that timber. A lot of times you can work a deal with them. Hey, with your dozers on that 20 acres, I want you to de-stump it and uh, do all that work, de-stump it and get it ready to be a field. And you negotiate, they don't have to pay you as much, or you can use that money to go have to pay a dozer guy. Um, Regardless, you know, you can use the land to pay for a lot of, to pay for a lot of those things. Um, now, you know, it depends on what the age of the timber is, uh, on how much money you're going to get. You, you know, you may not be able to get a whole lot, but the biggest thing is you can negotiate with those guys out there running those dozers. You know, I, I watched a guy, he said, you can cut this 20 acres and the timber on it is free. And he, I'll give it to you. But then I want you to do all this road work, do all this stuff or whatever, and turn it into a field. And, um, you know, there's a ton of, you know, being a sleazy real estate agent, everything is negotiable. <laughs> yeah, that was another thing I really was excited to get into on this podcast was uh, basically kind of using the land in creative ways to kind of help go back towards the cost mm-hmm. of that land. Exactly like what you're talking about. Like you want a dove field negotiate with the with the logging company and and see if you can get a dove field out of the deal um are there any other things that that you commonly do uh similar to that the timber company that would be the biggest one because you know that's where if if it's a hunting property that's you know it's hard to you know make a farming property a hunting property as well you know it's more of a concentration in farming and you you know might have some turkeys and some deer on it as well um but like with Speaking in timber, you know, timber would be that'd be the most the most common thing because timber management and wildlife management can go hand in hand a lot of times. Um, you know, most of the time, actually, they do like, you know, burning and stuff. Yeah, I mean, what that does for the wildlife is really, really good. And it's good for your timber as well. And then thinning it, um, that makes your timber grow um better and that's the whole purpose of it is to knock out some of the competition and then you've got more open woods and you know then when you cut it over uh you know you let you let part of it just grow up naturally and be a big nasty cut over for bedding area and uh you know there there's so many things that you can use the property to do that but not every property can do that not every property can. Some can, some can't. It's situational. Another thing that I was wondering about is I know that, especially in the Midwest, you hear a lot about CRP and stuff like that, programs that yep. that you can enroll in that basically pay you to do something with your land. Is there anything like that specifically for the South? Or is CRP a thing that happens in the South? Yes, CRP is a thing in the South. It's there. There is so many different programs that you can do. Um, you know, there's CRP with, um, pine trees with timber. Um, and what they do is they're basically, they're paying you not to cut it over. Now you can still manage it and thin it and everything. Now I'm not the expert on this. I, you know, I, I can point anybody to the expert, but the deals that I've been involved with that done this. So when you want to thin it, you got to go get approval. And so in, they pay, they paid him on a twice a year. And but if you went and cut it over or sold it and somebody went and cut it over, you had to pay every single payment back. The and so, 
you're, you're locking your property in for 20, 30 years, um, but it can be an extra amount of income. And some programs are better than others. You know, um, in Alabama, a big thing going on right now is the long lease. Um, so they can almost pay for all of it. Um, the, at the state will end up paying for almost all the planting of your long lease um, because they are a, um, they're better for uh, wildlife habitat. Um, it's a better quality tree, but it doesn't grow as fast, but you can burn it, uh, a lot sooner, a lot more often. Um, it's a, and so there's several advantages that the state sees. And so they give you some benefits where they can either cover half the cost, all the cost. you know, it all depends. Um, we've got a guy here in the office who owns a timber company as well and is more of a part-time agent. And so he's helped several people with doing that, with going through those government programs for that. But there's, there's so many, it amazed me when I learned all the different things that, that you can do, but some properties have that opportunity and some don't, it changes with each deal. You know, that's one phone call I get a lot is I hear people, they Google and they see these things and then they think it's just really easy. Um, or they find these ways where they get all this hundred percent financing or something like that. There's generally some loopholes you got to go through. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it can be very, it can be very beneficial um, to go through that. And not so a lot of times you want to find out if that's what your goal is to get on a property, a conservation easement, a wetland easement, um, all these different things. If you're trying to find something that does that, you need to put a long inspection period on it and then figure it out before you purchase it. So like with the, with the longleaf pine thing that we were just talking about in that case, specifically when you're saying that the, basically the government will help cover the cost, you're talking about covering the cost of planting the trees, burning it and managing that timber. Um, as far as I understand, it's just for the planting. Okay. Uh, it's, it's not for the full management. Um, after that, I may be wrong on that. Don't quote me on that, but it's, uh, the planting is the biggest thing and planting. I mean, is generally around $250 an acre is about a common ground. Okay. And then w- as you're enrolled in that program, like I- I'm totally ignorant of this whole process as you're enrolled in that program, are they basically paying you year to year to keep it in that CRP? Uh, on, on that, that's not a CRP. That's just okay. an incentive to get you to plant long leaves. That's a one and done deal. Okay. That's a, they help you do that. And then you don't get any money after that. Now, CRP, that's a totally different program. You can do that with a lot of lolly pines. Um, that is a, they can either pay you year to year. You can do a lump sum payment. You can do, um, you know, generally people do a year to year payment and it's normally around 20 to 30 years. Um, you know, just depends on the program. Okay. That's interesting. What does that look like on a, on a, like Loblolly plantation, uh, what are they paying you for exactly? Just to keep it more open and, and better wildlife habitat? Not to cut it over. Okay. Basically, is to keep it there. And so when you go to, you need to thin it to manage it. And also, it's better for the wildlife if you thin it and everything uh, to have more diversification. You just have to go get approval. You just have to go and get them to tell you, you know. You say, hey, this is my plan, and a licensed forester goes and says, hey, this is our thinning plan. This is what we're going to go do. They go, they check out the property, and then they say, all right, 
you know, we approve the plan or we don't approve the plan. Um, and it's just, you know, trying to keep people to keep trees out there and keep it for the wildlife. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a natural, it's a natural resource. And just that way, you know, they're preventing a de- developer from coming in and just cutting it over completely. Okay. You know, right there and just not knocking it all down. You know, that's not really what it's for, but it's, you know, just to not completely cut a place over. All right. That makes sense. Um, out of curiosity, those payments, I mean, is that a consistent, like, they pay you this much per acre or is it based on your property and like, what's that price look like? Or is it different? It, it, it's generally, it, it adjusts uh, quite a bit. There's several var- variables um, that go into it. Um, you know, uh, there's like a common price per acre. Um, I'm pretty sure I cannot remember it and I don't want to quote that. Um, I can't remember, but there, there's a, you know, pretty common, but there's some variables that can change it um, on that. You know, that is one of those things. I don't know everything about it, but I know the people who do. Uh, because the, if I misspeak on that, I could really mislead somebody. And so, but it's something to be, um, uh, it's it's a really useful, it can be a very useful tool. Uh, our, the guy across the street from my brother's house, he gets CRP payments. It was farmland for a certain, for like 60, 70 years. That guy's been getting uh, payments for the last probably 20 years. They're paying him not to farm it. And see, that's some things that when you're coming as a first-time you know, land buyer, there, there's different aspects like this, which is the reasoning why you don't necessarily want to do this on your own. You want to have a land specialist, a land agent, to kind of walk you through these different programs mm-hmm. and figure out, again, what makes the most sense for your money, for your family, for your overall um, ideas of how you're going to use the property, whether it's going to be investment property, a recreational property, the whole idea, the whole aspect of there, there's so many different things to pay attention to. And it's too much for any one person unless you have a ton of experience. And that's the reason why, Josh, you know, people work with you um, and in getting a land specialist is to have that opportunity of like, hey, I don't have to worry about all these fine details. As long as I have an idea of just what I want to use the property for in the application, it allows people like your chef to go out there and find that exact idea of, you know, exact property, what fits them. Or if you're listing a property, being able to bring new people in to be able to work with and look at the opportunities at hand for potential, you know, listings and potential buyers as well. Because I know you work very closely, not only with people that are wanting to buy their first property, but also people selling property, which is a great opportunity mm-hmm. to bring a new sell or new buyer into that opportunity uh, and show them of really what the previous owner had done to the property and how you can kind of fine tune based off your own needs and preferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into it. Every question y'all have asked, I've never had, I haven't had a complete straight answer for anything. Um, and it's because there's so many things that, that there's so many things that can, that can affect it. Like one thing I want to harp on those government programs those government programs are great, but they're not something to rely on. They're, they're, if you're looking for an investment, there's a lot of other things that I would I, I would say, hey, let, let, let's go to that. But it's something that is possible. Um, but, you know, looking for a property for CRP or for that stuff, that 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 can be very difficult. You can really be short selling yourself on what you can do. Um, and but you know when we when we're helping somebody sell a uh, place, 
having that knowledge of what can be done on a property or, you know, what the timber is worth, you know, that all goes into it. You know, one thing we really harp on here is we like to be more real estate advisors than real estate salesmen. And so, you know, when we go and we sit with somebody looking at their property, we don't ever say, okay, what do you want to sell this for? And then just do that. We go and it'll take me sometimes a couple of days to figure out the price on a property. It's not like a house where I can go in a neighborhood, get on MLS and pull up 12 houses that have sold in the last year. I've got to go and look and I've got to get down to the dirt price. Then I've got to put a price on it. There's a shop on it. Then I got to have a guess on the, you know, on the timber value on it. Um, you know, is there a pond? Pond, usually ten to $15,000 an acre is what we add to it. You know, there's so much that goes into pricing it and then selling it that, you know, I tell people all respect in the world for a residential agent. I stay away from houses. I tell people, you know, I've sold houses. I don't mind doing it. But if you want the best person to sell a house, I'm not your guy. Um, the, the There's a lot of minutia things to each individual stereotype, I guess, in real estate. Please pick a land guy because the, he may be able to catch something that you may not catch. I've made a career out of coming and fixing uh-ohs <laughs> uh, for people where they got them. I, I've had to do that and, you know, I've hated it for the people. Um, but, you know, somebody didn't know what to tell them to do on that. Yeah, you know, whether it was an easement issue or something like that. Um, you know, I've had somebody, they bought a property without an easement and it was cash. And then, and that was the nightmare property I was talking about. And so they bought it with cash. They didn't worry about it. Didn't realize the effect that it would have on selling it down the road. And then, so we're in a year long nightmare to get it fixed, but we got it fixed. Also, Josh, to kind of get a point here of almost, uh, you know, kind of getting a point of wrapping this up. Can we just kind of rehash just from your, your take you know, why, if, if somebody's, you know, kind of laying on the fence to potentially buy a property, what are some of the things that you would recommend to them? If they, if they have a goal, like I want to own some property in the next couple of years, what should they be focused on doing now to make it easier in a couple of years when they're ready to go? Really, honestly, and one thing that a lot of people don't do, because they're, when somebody first calls me, I'm trying to figure out what phase they're in. Are we in the research phase? Are we on the, we need to be scheduling appointments and going and looking at stuff? What, what phase are we in? And so if we're in the research phase, you know, still call me because then I can figure, you know, tell me what is your budget? What do you plan to be your budget? Um, you know, so that I can get you in touch with a land guy, with a land lender. And that way you can figure out, okay, my finances need to be here to be able to buy this. And then you figure out, okay, it may take me a couple of years. Well, then we don't need to, to to go look at land because what's on the market right now ain't going to be on the market then. Um, you know, so calling a land agent, getting educated, you know, that that's the first thing is I would say calling a land agent and a land lender and figure out if you have no idea about it, if I, what can I get in this area for around 250,000? You know, that could always change, but that's going to help him be able to tell you what you need to do. And then it's going to help you figure out how long is it going to, when do I need to start looking? When do I need to start pulling the trigger? Um, that's, that's the, the, really the, the first phase of that. Then you go, you start looking at land and you got to think about what are you looking for here? Are you looking for, if you're looking for an investment, 
then, you know, when it comes to your negotiations on offers and stuff, then you strictly, the only thing you care about is I want to get a deal and make money and be able to sell it very quickly. Um, then you don't have emotion in it. You can offer low prices because if you go offer way too low on somebody, there's a very good chance that he's going to tell you to go to hell and move on and not even respond to you. If you're not emotionally attached to it, that's fine. But if if this is something that you want to hold for 30 years, then that changes. Um, then, you know, hey, you know, we don't need to be as worried about that. Um, for example, my property, my property, I, I could have maybe turned around and made a, you know, a little bit of money when I bought it, but mine, I'm going to have to hold it for a few years for about four or five years, um, to be able to make what would be worth it to me to sell it. And so I was willing to pay more at that time. Does that make sense? Like if you, the, if you're trying to make money off of it and flip it in a year, then you need to get it almost below market value. And what I, what I did, I got it maybe just a little bit below market value, maybe just barely, but not enough to really, it wouldn't be worth trying to sell it again and make any money off of it. But it was four year old pines on most of it. And then 38 acres of hardwoods. And so what I did was it was like buying Apple stock when it was $26, uh, you know, when it was really cheap. Uh, so I'm buying it. It's at a lower value. It was cheap to get my doja work done. I put in six acres worth of green fields. I put in three two-acre green fields. I love big fields. Everybody loves big fields, so I put in three of those jokers on 76 acres. And the doja work was really cheap for that because the stumps were already well-rotted from when it was cut over, and those little four-year-old trees just ripped up like it was nothing. So it only cost me $1,200 to do that to put in six acres of green fields. If that was on a place that was like, you know, um, that had timber on it and go to clear it, that's a lot more, it's going to be a lot more time because you're going to pay about 120 bucks an hour for a dozer um, for somebody to operate it. Um, and so because I was willing to hold it, I was willing to pay what I paid and, you know, did that little bit of work to it. And, you know, going to do a couple of small improvements to it after that. Um, you know, that's the different options that you have. The market that we're going into now where things are probably, if we're going on a downhill, you're probably going to see some properties up where there's going to be an opportunity to buy some places under market value because somebody needs some money. Um, that has not been the case in the past year and a half. You've had to either buy an issue or buy something that you needed to hold for a few years. Um, it's been really hard to find really good deals that were just flips. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Josh, uh, I'll, we'll kind of put this at the end of the podcast here, but if, if any of the listeners want to get in contact with you with any other questions, uh, any other uh, details about buying or listing properties, uh, you know, how can people go about getting in touch with you and, uh, and kind of start that process? Uh, you can call me on my cell phone at 334-652-1231. Um, you can also check me out on Facebook. I'm pretty active on there. It's just Josh Holly Mossy Oak Properties. Um, and, uh, or you can email me, jholly at mossyoakproperties.com. Um, uh, and call me anytime. My phone's always ringing. 
Absolutely. Well, Josh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. We're going to have you again because there's another uh, topic I want to have you on that's pretty interesting, which we'll actually discuss when we end this. Uh, but again, appreciate you coming on to the podcast, brother, and appreciate your support. And guys, you know, if you're interested, especially if you're one of our Alabama listeners, which is a lot of you guys, uh, you know, give Josh a shout and uh, see if he can help you out. But Josh, thanks for coming on. And guys, we'll catch y'all back here on the next week's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year, and guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.